audio number 37, Congregation of the Dead, part 29. O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy, Habakkuk 3.2. The Protestant Reformation was ignited by Martin Luther in 1570. And throughout his writings, he writes, Blessed St. Augustine born a little over a thousand years before Martin Luther in 364 AD and died in 430 AD. St. Augustine's writings on the bondage of the will was probably the most significant writing since the Apostle Paul himself. The Protestant Reformation finding its genesis in Martin Luther in 1517 AD and culminating in the pilgrims coming to America in 1620 was in reality a revival of St. Augustine's doctrine of predestination. Martin Luther wrote in opposition to the fast food free will literary giant named Erasmus who wrote the book entitled Freedom of the Will, and Martin Luther responded with his book entitled The Bondage of the Will, which you can get on Amazon.com. St. Augustine wrote in opposition to the fast food free will theologian named Pelagius. This battle between free will and the bondage of the will has been going on since Cain killed Abel. 1 John chapter 3, verse 12. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, that is Satan, and slew his brother. And wherefore he slew him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. In the Bible, evil is anything less than perfect. And righteous is perfect morality. And perfect morality only comes from Jesus Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law, the moral law for us. Verse 13, marvel not my brethren, if the world hate you. This hatred Jesus is speaking about has been going on since the time of Cain and Abel. This is God's war, Genesis 3:15. I, God, will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, Eve, and between thy seed, that is the non-elect, and Eve's seed, that is the elect. Cain, wrapped in his own self-righteousness, had hatred toward Abel, wrapped in the righteousness of God. Adam and Eve attempted to hide their nakedness with the fig leaves of morality, but the moment they heard the voice of God, they hid themselves, for they now realized that God with x-ray vision could see through their fig leaves of morality to their nakedness. But God sacrificed an animal, probably a lamb, and wrapped Adam and Eve in its skin to replace their fig leaves of morality with the righteousness of Jesus or Christ's fulfillment of the moral law for us. Like Adam and Eve, we must eventually reject our fig leaves of morality and flee to be wrapped in Christ's robe of righteousness as our ticket into heaven. Abel was accepted by God for he was wrapped in Christ's robe of righteousness or Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law for him. And Cain was rejected because he came to God in his own fig leaves of morality or his self-righteousness. St. Augustine, as well as Martin Luther, overwhelmed the system with this doctrine and ultimately it became the foundation of America in the 16 and 1700s. In the 1700s, the evangelist George Whitfield again overwhelmed the system by delivering over 18,000 sermons to literally thousands of our approximately two and a half million colonists. Now, in this message, we will see that we as Americans will never need Christ's robe of righteousness until we begin to acknowledge that the fountain from which all evil flows in this world is right out of our own heart or sin nature and is offensive to God. In other words, original sin is sin even before it finds a fruition in an act of sin. St. Augustine was into much sin in his youth and years after he was made a new creation, he wrote a book called The Confessions of St. Augustine so that he could help others not fall into the sins he fell into. At the end of this message, we will listen to an excerpt of these confessions to help us to see our own sin. So how do we know as Americans 
if God is beginning a work of salvation in our lives to make us a new spiritual creation. What are some of the signs that God is working in us? In the last few of our messages on the Congregation of the Dead series, we looked at the allegorical characters of passion, patience, and ignorance. Both passion and ignorance were professing Christians, yet not true Christians. Passion, sin, nature was near neighbors with the things of this world and passion succumbed to the desires of his flesh to follow after the temporal things of this world. While patience, a true believer, waited on the promises of God and was not swept away with the lusts of his flesh, as was passion. Therefore, let us review how clear fishermen John, James, Moses, and Jesus are in making it perfectly clear that we cannot as a new creation flow with the world but we must swim upstream against the flow of the world it is clear we can't have it both ways as we read through these scriptures let us as americans closely and truthfully examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith if we become convicted we are not in the faith this is a good thing, for the Holy Spirit is beginning his work in us to possibly save us. Let us listen to Fisherman John, 1 John 2.15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Verse 17, and the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God keeps on abiding forever. Secondly, let us listen to James, most likely Jesus's physical brother. James chapter four, verse four. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Thirdly, let us listen to Moses. Exodus chapter 34, verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Verse 15, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods and one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice. Verse 16, and thou take of their daughters and thy sons and their daughters go a whoring after their gods and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Verse 17, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Fourthly, let us listen to Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourself treasures upon earth, where moth and rust does corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus goes on to basically say that we cannot have one foot on the black horse and one foot on the white horse and call ourselves a Christian 
for our eye as a new creation must be singly on Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. If, therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Verse 23. But if thine eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. If we are a new creation, the Spirit of Christ literally lives in us, and thus Jesus, the spiritual light, is in us, and our body is full of light. But if the Spirit of Christ does not abide in us, we are none of Christ, and therefore the light that is in us is darkness. And how great is that darkness. As natural men Americans, we are in complete 100% spiritual darkness. But if we are a new spiritual creation as an American, our eye is singly upon Jesus. For the Spirit of Jesus abides in us, and thus our whole body is full of light. Let us read again Jesus' words. Verse 22, The light of the body is the eye. If, therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in us be darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, Jesus continues on and makes it perfectly clear that a true Christian cannot serve two masters. Verse 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. That is, you cannot serve filthy lucre like Judas did. Similarly, Moses writes, Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Jesus continues, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat and the body than the raiment? Verse 31. Therefore take no thought, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Verse 32. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. Verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So hopefully it is perfectly clear that if we have been truly made a new creation by Jesus, we are solely his and thus we are like live fish swimming upstream against the current of the world. And we are totally distinct from the spiritually dead fish of this world floating downstream with the current of the river, rapidly approaching the falls of perdition, that is hell. In fact, Jesus is such a jealous God that he makes it perfectly clear that we are not to idolize our family. Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I come not to send peace, 
but a sword. Verse 35, for I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. Verse 36, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Verse 37, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that keeps on loving son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Verse 39, and he that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So now, as natural man Americans, maybe the Holy Spirit has convicted us and we are feeling weary and heavy laden over our sin. If so, we should pray that this conviction will not evaporate away, but that God would increase it. For conviction of sin coupled together with repentance is an absolute necessity in order for us to be saved or made a new creation. Dr. Luke chapter 13 Verse 3, Jesus commands, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. No matter how great a moralist we are, or how great a murderer, adulterer, etc. we are, it takes the same amount of repentance to save us, for we all have the same evil sin nature that is condemning us to hell. It is the root of our acts of sin that Jesus took on as his own, and thus was condemned to hell by his own Father. At this time, let us return to John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress to see how John Bunyan presents the process of salvation in his allegorical character named Hopeful. Hopeful is portrayed as praying hard and hoping against hope that the Father in heaven will reveal his Son to him. 100% truth is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ, and that 100% truth must make us a new creation and come to live within us before we can be 100% sure we have the truth. It is only then that we can be 100% sure that the Bible is the revealed Word of God. Hopeful's conversion. This conversion is what happens to all of us in varying degrees when we are getting close to entering in at the straight gate or about to be saved. Let us read and reread this until the signs of conversion begin to sink into our thick skulls. Now, let us read carefully to the series of events leading up to Hopeful's conversion in John Bunyan's allegory called Pilgrim's Progress. I saw then in my dream that they went till they came into a certain country whose air naturally tended to make one drowsy if he came a stranger into it. And here Hopeful began to be very dull and heavy of sleep. Wherefore he said unto Christian, I do now begin to grow so drowsy that I can scarcely hold up mine eyes. Let us lie down here and take one nap. Christian, by no means, said the other, lest sleeping we never awake more. Hopeful, why, my brother, sleep is sweet to the laboring man. We may be refreshed if we take a nap. Christian, do you not remember that one of the shepherds bade us beware of the enchanted ground? He meant by that that we should beware of sleeping. Wherefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, hopeful. I acknowledge myself in a fault. And had I been here alone, I had by sleeping run the danger of death. I see it is true that the wise man saith, two are better than one. Hitherto hath thy company been my mercy, 
and thou shalt have a good reward for thy labor. Christian, now then, said Christian, to prevent drowsiness in this place, let us fall into good discourse. Hopeful. With all my heart, said the other. Christian, where shall we begin? Hopeful. Where God began with us. But do you begin, if you please. Christian, I will sing you first this song. When saints do sleepy grow, let them come hither and hear how these two pilgrims talk together. Yea, let them learn of them in any wise, thus to keep open their drowsy, slumbering eyes. Saints' fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake, and that in spite of hell. Christian. Then Christian began and said, I will ask you a question. How come you to think at first so of doing as you do now? Hopeful, do you mean... How came I at first to look after the good of my soul? It is when we as Americans begin to be concerned of what happens after we take the last breath in our physical body that we are now looking after the good of our soul. It is in all of our DNAs as Americans that our good works will outweigh the evil of our heart. And therefore, as Americans, we will be acceptable God and will have no reason to believe that we need to escape the wrath to come after we take that last breath in our physical body. That is why we very seldom, if ever, find the deceased going to hell. Now back to Pilgrim's Progress. Christian. Yes, that is my meaning. Hopeful. I continued a great while in the delight of those things which are seen and sold at our fair. Things which, as I believe now, would have, had I continued in them still, drowned me in perdition and destruction. When we measure our conscience against man, there is no need of repentance. Just a few years ago, New York State amended their constitution to legalize abortion and borderline infanticide. There was a standing ovation in the Senate. Obviously, these senators did not clear their conscience before God, but man. Man keeps lowering the standard. God's standard is perfection, which is impossible and therefore keeps us in a state of repentance. But it is in that mourning each day over our sin nature that Jesus comforts us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That is, blessed are the spiritual beggars. For theirs is, or in other words, theirs is equal the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn, that is, over their original sin, for they shall be comforted. Now back to Pilgrim's Progress. Hopeful, do you mean, how came I at first to look after the good of my soul? Christian, Yes, that is my meaning. Hopeful. I continued a great while in the delight of those things which are seen and sold at our fair. Things which, as I believe now, would have, had I continued in them still, drowned me in perdition and destruction. Christian, what things were they? Hopeful. All the treasures and riches of the world. Also, I delighted much in rioting, reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath-breaking, and whatnot that tended to destroy the soul. But I found at last, by hearing and considering of the things that are divine, which indeed I heard of you, hopeful, as also of beloved faithful that was put to death for his faith and good living in Vanity Fair, that the end of these things is death. 
and that for these things sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. As we all know in America today, immorality is spinning out of control more and more each year. For example, fornication is rampant, surrounding us on every side. Likewise, drug addiction is so out of control that we have an overdose on drugs every eight minutes in America. And with about 50 murders per day, we can look pretty good if we compare ourselves to man. But if we compare ourselves to God's standard, we get a whole different picture. In fact, God is very clear that the majority of us Americans can have 100% assurance that we are not going to heaven, but hell. For how many of us are not guilty of at least one of the following sins? Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh, that is our sin nature, are manifest, are revealed, which are these. These are the works of the flesh. Number one, adultery. Two, fornication. Three, uncleanness. Four, lasciviousness. Five, idolatry. Six, witchcraft. Seven, hatred. Eight, variance. Nine, emulations. 10, wrath, 11, strife, 10, seditions, 11, heresies, verse 21. Number 12, envyings, 13, murders, 14, drunkenness, 15, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I, the Apostle Paul, have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. Infanticide is murder, and these senators were giving themselves a standing ovation for legalizing murder. What does that tell us about how we can literally rationalize the worst of behaviors and sleep like a baby? But these babies aren't sleeping but are dead, aren't they? In America, we have flaunted and celebrated fornication in our movies, and now it has become such an acceptable behavior. It is like eating, sleeping, and drinking, etc. Why do these things not bother us? Just as lying cannot be eradicated from our heart, neither can fornication nor anger. Our parents must teach us that lying is wrong. We all know serial liars who lie as easily as America fornicates. The word of God must be taught to us as a country, emphasizing that these behaviors are not acceptable. Once we get involved in these horrible sins, we don't want people clouding our conscience by telling us that we are guilty of a sin against God. We want it to stay as acceptable behavior. Now, back to Pilgrim's Progress, reviewing first. Hopeful, I continued a great while in the delight of those things which are seen and sold at our fair. Things which, as I believe now, would have, had I continued in them, drowned me in perdition and destruction. Christian, what things were they? Hopeful, all the treasures and riches of the world. Also, I delighted much in rioting, reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath breaking, and whatnot that tended to destroy the soul. But I found at last by hearing and considering of the things which are divine, which indeed I heard of you, Christian, as also of beloved faithful that was put to death for his faith and good living in Vanity Fair, that the end of these things is death, eternal death, and that for these things' sake, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Hopeful now says, 
that he was not willing presently to know the evil of sin nor the damnation that follows. Christian, and did you presently fall under the power of this conviction? Hopeful, no. I was not willing presently to know the evil of sin, nor the damnation that follows upon the commission of it, but endeavored when my mind at first began to be shaken with the word to shut mine eyes against the light thereof. That is, hopeful with saying, no, I was comparing myself to man's low standards, which made my behavior acceptable. And when I heard what God had to say, I shrugged it off for it would interfere in all my pleasure. I just wanted that kind of talk to go away. The true Jesus is just not fun. He is going to cut into our pleasure. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light, that is Jesus, is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Verse 20, for everyone that doeth evil keeps on hating the light. That would be me, Jesus. Neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Verse 21, but he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. However, on the other hand, if we are shaken by the evil of our lying, fornication, envy, etc., this is a good thing, not a bad thing, because God is working in our heart to show us how offended he is of our behavior. Hopeful. No, I was not willing presently to know the evil of sin, nor the damnation that follows upon the commission of it, but endeavored when my mind at first began to be shaken with the word to shut mine eyes against the light thereof. Christian, but what was the course of your carrying of it thus to the first workings of God's blessed spirit upon you? Hopeful, the causes were, number one, I was ignorant that this was the work of God upon me. I never thought that by the awakenings for sin, God at first begins the conversion of a sinner. Number two, sin was yet very sweet to my flesh, and I was loth to leave it. Just think how much fun fornicators are having as they brag about it to their friends. Then these fornicators think to themselves that if they stop fornicating, they would have to change friends. Number three, I could not tell how to part with my old companions. Their presence and actions were so desirable unto me. If we are beginning to be convicted, let us recognize that it is God that is awakening us and drawing us to himself, which is a very good thing. On the other hand, if we have no conviction, it should frighten us even more. For God is not awakening us to our own depravity. John chapter 6, verse 44. No man can come to me, Jesus, except the Father which hath sent me, draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Hopeful is being convicted of his acts of sin. Number four, the hours in which convictions were upon me were such troublesome and such heart affrightening hours that I could not bear. No, not so much as the remembrance of them upon my heart, Christian. Then, as it seems, sometimes you got rid of your trouble. Hopeful, yes, verily. But it would come into my mind again, and then I should be as bad, nay, worse than I was before. Hopeful has one foot on the black horse and one foot on the white horse, which is worse 
than when he was just having fun fornicating away. Also, I delighted much in rioting, reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath breaking, and whatnot that tended to destroy the soul. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Christian, why, what was it that brought your sins to mind again? Hopeful, many things. As number one, if I did but meet a good man in the streets, my sin did come to mind again. Number two, if I have heard any read in the Bible, my sins came to mind again. Number three, if my head did begin to ache, my sins came to mind again. Number four, if I were told that some of my neighbors were sick, my sins came to mind again. Number five, if I heard the bell toll for some that were dead, my sins came to mind again. Number six, if I thought of dying myself, my sins came to mind again. Number seven, if I heard that sudden death happened to others, my sin came to mind again. Number eight, but especially when I thought of myself, that I must quickly come to judgment. Christian, and could you at any time with ease get off thy guilt of thy sin? When by any of these ways it came upon you, hopeful, no, not latterly, for then they got faster hold of my conscience. And then if I did but think of going back to sin, though my mind was turned against it, it would be double torment to me. Christian, and how did you do then? Hopeful, I thought I must endeavor to mend my life, or else thought I, I am sure to be damned to hell. Jesus tells us in Revelation 21, verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. Verse 7, he that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, the final separation from God. Christian, and did you endeavor to mend? Hopeful, yes, and fled from not only my sins, but sinful company too, and betook me to religious duties as praying, reading, weeping for sin, speaking truth to my neighbors, and so on. These things I did with many others, too much here to relate. Hopeful had repented over his acts of sin and thought he was good to go for heaven, but he is yet to be convicted that partial credit is sin also. Just because we have pulled out of the pollutions of this world does not mean we have arrived at salvation. Christian, and did you think yourself well then? Hopeful, yes, for a while. But at the last, my trouble came tumbling upon me again. And that over the neck of all my reformations. Christian, how came that about since you were now reformed? Hopeful. There were several things brought it upon me, especially such sayings as these. Number one, all our righteousness are as filthy rags. 
Number two, by the works of the law shall no man be justified. That is found innocent in God's courtroom. Number three, when you have done all things, say we are unprofitable with many more such the like. From whence I began to reason with myself thus, if all my righteousness are filthy rags, if by the deeds of the law no man can be justified, and if when we have done all, we are yet unprofitable, then tis but a folly to think of heaven by the law. Hopeful is now beginning to realize that Jesus wasn't kidding when he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, I commend you, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Jesus couldn't have meant that perfect really did mean perfect, for none of us can be perfect. What he really meant was, I command you to endeavor to be perfect. Give it your best shot to be perfect. Try to be perfect, etc. Jesus couldn't have meant that when he said, be perfect, he really meant to be perfect, for none of us can be perfect. And Moses really did not mean it when he said in Deuteronomy 27, 26, curse to hell, be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, amen. And Paul certainly could not have meant it when he said in Galatians 3, verse 10, for as many as are of the works of the law, follow God's commands, are under the curse, that is cursed to hell. For it is written by Moses, cursed, that is to hell, is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. And James certainly could not have meant it when he said in James 2 verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And Isaiah certainly couldn't have meant it when he said, In Isaiah 63, 64, verse 19, We are thine. Thou never bearest rule over them. They were not called by thy name. Verse 6, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, that is our self-righteousness, are as filthy rags. Our righteousness is our ability to follow the commands partially. And Paul certainly could not have meant it when he said in Romans 10, 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own self-righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And Paul, again, certainly could not have meant it when he said in Romans 3.20, therefore by the deeds of the law, that is, therefore by attempting to follow the law, there shall be no flesh justified in his sight. That is, no man will be found innocent in his father's courtroom. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, not virtue. And Paul certainly did not mean it when he said in Philippians 3, 9, and be found in Christ, not having mine own self-righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The function of the commands is not to give eternal life by doing our best to follow them, but the 
function of the commands of God are to be as a loaded gun pointed directly at us, saying we can't follow them perfectly, and therefore we are under the curse of these commands which demand perfection, making us fall to the feet of Jesus, that we might by faith be wrapped in Christ's perfect robe of righteousness. Why? For Jesus was put under this law of perfection when he entered this earth, and he fulfilled the law perfectly for us as a gift to us as our ticket into heaven. Former Mr. Partial Credit or former Mr. Morality tells us about this gift of righteousness which is Christ's fulfillment of the law for us in Romans chapter 5, verse 18. In this verse, we will see that the first Adam got us into this mess, but it is the second Adam, Jesus, that is going to get us out of the mess by following the moral law for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, that is to hell. Even so, by the righteousness of one, that is Christ, the free gift, that is Christ's fulfillment of the law for us, came upon all men unto the justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So by the perfect obedience of Christ, many shall be made righteous. So now Hopeful is being convicted that he needs this gift of Christ fulfilling the law perfectly for us, which is called God's righteousness. Hopeful. There were several things brought it upon me, especially such sayings as these. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. Number two, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Number three, when you have done all things, say we are unprofitable with many more such like. From whence I began to reason with myself thus, if all my self-righteousness are filthy rags, if by the deeds of the law no man can be justified or found innocent in God's courtroom, and if when we have done all we are yet unprofitable, then tis but a folly to think of heaven by the law. I further thought thus, if a man runs 100 pounds into the shopkeeper's debt, and after that shall pay for all that he shall fetch, yet if his old debt stands still in the book uncrossed, for that the shopkeeper may sue him and cast him into prison till he shall pay the debt. Christian, well, and how did you apply this to yourself? Hopeful, why I thought thus with myself. I have by my sins run a great way into God's accounting book, and that my now reforming will not pay off that score. Therefore, I should think still under all my present amendments, but how shall I be freed from the damnation that I have brought myself in danger by my former transgressions. Christian, a very good application. But pray, go on. In other words, not only can I not fulfill the law perfectly now that I have pulled out of the pollutions of the world, but what about all the laws I broke before I amended my life? For Jesus demands we follow the law perfectly. It is only the righteousness of Jesus Christ that can cover the whole ball of wax. Hopeful finds now that his sin nature is sin. Hopeful so far has repented over his acts of sin 
and his iniquity or inability to follow the commands perfectly, which is called his self-righteousness. But now he is being convicted that his sin nature is sin. For example, when we don't lie, do we pat ourselves on the back? Or do we repent over the fact that we are liars by nature and we will never be able to eradicate it? King David says it this way, Psalm 51, verse 3, For I acknowledge my transgressions, that are my acts of sins, and my sin nature is ever before me. Verse 4, Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. King David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and he acknowledges that he committed the act of adultery with Bathsheba. But now the fact that he is an adulterer by nature is ever before him, and it is a sin against God. Just the fact that we are liars by nature, adulterers by nature, envious by nature, are sins in themselves, even if we don't commit the act of that sin. Our sin nature is now ever before us, and it is sin leading us to repentance because these evil desires are forever effervescing to the surface. An alcoholic can spot another alcoholic a mile away. And when we see our original sin in ourselves, we are able to detect the sin in others much easier. The more we see and feel the evil desires of our heart, the more we can head sin off at the past because we are repenting over that evil desire before it becomes an act of sin. King David in Psalm 38 expresses how he acknowledges these evil desires effervescing out of his sin nature. And it is in this brokenness over these evil desires that he groans and has a broken and contrite heart. It is in that brokenness that he draws nigh to our Lord, and in his groaning over his sin nature, our Lord wraps him in his arms and comforts him. And Jesus speaks about this comfort, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now let us listen to King David repent over his original sin in Psalm 38, verse 1. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me, and thy hand presses me sore. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger, neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities are gone over mine head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by the reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groaning is not hid from thee. Now let us listen again to King David, Psalm 51. And my sin nature is ever before me. Verse 4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Again, King David, Psalm 34, verse 16. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Verse 17. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto who? The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Listen to Fisherman John. In 1 John 1, 7. 
But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we shall have fellowship one with another. That is us with Jesus. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we walk in the light, we see our sin and thus puts us in a state of repentance and makes us nigh unto our Lord Jesus. When we see light shine into the room, we see the dust. Likewise, we see the evil of our heart. So now hopeful sin nature is ever before him. And not only can't he follow the commandments perfectly, but as an example, though he may not be lying nearly as much as he used to, he now also sees that he will never be able to eradicate the fact that he is a liar by nature. And just the fact that he has to stop himself from lying is a sin. For now the law is the loaded gun pointing to the fact that he is a liar by nature. And that fact alone is enough to send him to hell even if he never committed one act of lying in his life. Hopeful. Another thing that hath troubled me even since my late amendments is that if I look narrowly into the best of what I do, I still see sin, new sins, the evil desires of my heart ever vesting to the surface, mixing itself with the best of that I do. So that now I am forced to conclude that notwithstanding my former fond conceits of myself and duties, I have committed sin enough in one day to send me to hell, though my former life had been faultless. King David says it this way, Psalm 39, verse 5, Verily, every man at his best moral state is altogether vanity. Verse 6, Surely every man keeps on walking in a vain show. Christian, and what did you do then? Hopeful, do I could tell not what to do till I break my mind to faithful for he and I were well acquainted and he told me that unless I could obtain the righteousness of a man that never had sinned neither mine own nor all the righteousness of the world could save me Christian and did you think he spake true hopeful had he told me so when I was pleased and satisfied with my own amendments, I would have called him a fool for his pains. That is, when I pulled out of the pollutions of the world, I originally thought I was good to go with God. But then I began to see more and more of the evil desires of my sin nature, which were the root cause of my acts of sin. Now I see that this root of sin is sin in itself. Back to Pilgrim's Progress. But now, since I see my own infirmity and the sin that cleaves to the best of my performance, I have been forced to be of his opinion. The evil desires of our sin nature are sin, and they cleave to our best performances. For now we know that our sin nature is the root of all sin in this world. Christian, but did you think when at first he suggested it to you that there was such a man to be found of whom it might be said that he never committed sin. Hopeful, I must confess the words at first sounded strangely, but after a little more talk and company with him, I had full conviction about it. Christian, and did you ask him what man this was and how you must be justified by him? Hopeful, yes, and he told me it was the Lord Jesus that dwells on the right hand of the Most High. Christian, and what did you do then? Hopeful, I made my objections against my believing for that I thought he was not willing to save me. Christian, and what said faithful to you then? Hopeful, he bade me go to him and see. Then I said, it was presumption, but he said no. For I was invited to come, and he gave me a book of Jesus indicting to encourage me 
the more freely to come. And he said concerning that book that every jot and tittle thereof stood firmer than heaven and earth. Then I asked him, what must I do when I came? And he told me, I must entreat upon my knees with all my heart and all my soul, the Father, to reveal Jesus Christ to me. Then I asked him further how I must make my supplication to him. And he said, Go, and thou shalt find him upon a mercy seat where he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to them that come. I told him that I knew not what to say when I came, and he bid me say to this effect, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and make me to know and believe in Jesus Christ. For I see that if his righteousness and none of mine had not been, or I had not faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away. Lord, I have heard that thou art a merciful God and hast ordained that thy son Jesus Christ should be the savior of the world. And moreover, that thou art willing to bestow him upon such a sinner as I am. Lord, take therefore this opportunity and magnify thy grace in the salvation of my soul through thy son Jesus Christ. Amen. Christian, and did you do as you were bidden? Hopeful, yes, over and over and over. Christian, and did the Father reveal the Son to you? Hopeful, no, not at first, nor the second, nor the third, nor the fourth, nor the fifth. No, nor at the sixth time either. Christian, what did you do then? Hopeful, what? Why, I could not tell what to do. Christian, had you no thoughts of leaving off praying? Hopeful, yes, and a hundred times twice told. Christian, and what was the reason you did not quit praying? Hopeful, I believe that it was true, which had been told me, to wit, that without the righteousness of this Christ, not all the righteousness of the world could save me. And therefore, thought I with myself, if I leave off, I die. And I can but die at the throne of grace. And with all, this came into my mind. If it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come and will not tarry. So I continued praying until the Father showed me his Son, Christian. And how was it that he revealed Christ unto you? In the next message, we will see how Christ was revealed unto him. Now let us conclude by working at being convicted of our own sin as we listen to an excerpt from the Confessions of St. Augustine describing the sins of his youth. For as I became a youth, I longed to be satisfied with worldly things, and I dared to grow wild in a succession of various and shadowy loves. My form wasted away, and I became corrupt in thy eyes, yet I was still pleasing to my own eyes, and eager to please the eyes of men. If only there had been someone to regulate my disorder and to turn my profit the fleeting beauties of the things around me and to fix a bound to their sweetness so that the tides of my youth might have been spent themselves upon the shore of marriage. Then they might have been tranquilized and satisfied with having children as thy law prescribes. O Lord, O thou who dost form the offspring of our death and art able also with a tender hand to blunt the thorns which were excluded from thy paradise. For thy omnipotence is not far from us even when we are far from thee. Now, on the other hand, I might have given more vigilant heed to the voice from the clouds. Nevertheless, such shall have trouble in the flesh, but I spare you. And it is good for a man to not touch a woman, and he that is unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. 
But he that is married cares for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. I should have listened more attentively to these words, and thus having been made a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake. I would rather have with greater happiness expected thy embraces. But fool that I was, I foamed in my wickedness as the sea, and forsaking thee, followed the rushing of my own tide, and burst out of all thy bounds. But I did not escape thy scourges. For what mortal man can do so? Thou wast always by me, mercifully angry, and flavoring all my unlawful pleasures with bitter discontent, in order that I might seek pleasures free from discontent. But where could I find such pleasure save in thee? O Lord, save in thee, who dost teach us by sorrow, who woundest us to heal us, and dost kill us, that we may not die apart from thee. Where was I, and how far was I exiled from thy delights of thy house in that sixteenth year of the age of my flesh, when the madness of lust held full sway in me, that madness which grants indulgence to human shamelessness, even though it is forbidden by your law. And I gave myself entirely to it. Meanwhile, my family took no care to save me from ruined by marriage, for their sole care was that I should learn how to make a powerful speech and become a persuasive orator. Now, in that year, my studies were interrupted. I had come back from Madora, a neighboring city where I had gone to study grammar and rhetoric, and the money for a further term at Carthage was being got together for me. This project was more a matter of my father's ambition than of his means, for he was only a poor citizen of Tagus. To whom am I narrating all this? Not to thee, O my God, but to my own kind in thy presence, to that small part of the human race who may chance to come upon these writings, and to what end that I and all who read them may understand what depths there are from which we are to cry unto thee. For what is more surely heard in thy ear than a confessing heart and a faithful life? In order for America to again become a virtuous nation, there is nothing more that we need than to become, as Americans, a people with a confessing heart towards God. Fisherman John says it this way in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we, as Americans, say we have no sin. We deceive ourselves as Americans, and the truth, that is Jesus, is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Christ a liar, and his word is not in us. To be continued, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. In the name of Jesus, amen.